invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Riley just told me when I came down from communion, she said, that was the shortest sermon you've ever preached. I said, I've not preached yet. But this will be a brief message as we reflect upon the resurrection and what it means for us today, now, as believers. You know, we traveled this past week for spring break. Our family went down to Florida where it's warm. It was in the 80s all week, no rain. You know, and I was, as we were driving down and then driving back, driving back yesterday, I couldn't help but think, you know, once you hit North Carolina, you begin to see green. And the further south you drove, the more green and the more color you saw. I was reminded of, of Martin Luther, what he said about the resurrection. He said, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. So even even this season is is an illustration of resurrection of sorts. Resurrection Sunday. Honestly, I like to say this, throw it in, I try to say it every Easter, but we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday as believers. Because we gather on the Lord's Day, the day in which Jesus was raised from the grave. And so this is a, certainly a special time of the year where we reflect upon this reality and these events from Holy Week as Jesus goes to the cross for us and then three days later is raised from the dead. It's an annual celebration when Christians throughout the world gather to reflect and remember, to proclaim, to celebrate what Christ has done and how he has been victorious over the grave. He's alive. But while Easter is, a, is an annual celebration, I would add that it's also a sobering reminder of the reality of death. You don't have resurrection without a death. Just as springtime pictures that truth, we know that The resurrection we have in the scripture, the resurrection of Jesus, he's being raised from the dead. He died. We don't like discussing death. In fact, we live our lives doing everything that we can to avoid it. But in spite of all of our efforts, exercise programs, diets, and the rest, the statistics still tell us that one out of every one person will encounter death unless Jesus comes back before. This is why the resurrection is so cherished by Christians. Because it's the very foundation of our hope. We know that we are going to one day die. Our physical bodies are going to run out of steam. And the resurrection is that which gives us hope beyond death. It points to a day when death will be no more. Amen? Even when I talk about resurrection, when I say that word, the resurrection, our minds immediately, and rightfully so, go to the resurrection of Jesus. He lived, he died, and he was raised. And indeed, that's what we celebrate today. 
Or maybe when I talk about the resurrection, you think about the future resurrection. When Jesus returns and he raises the bodies that have died, he gives them glorified bodies. Certainly that is a resurrection that is in the scriptures and something that we should long for. But I want to talk about briefly this morning from Colossians chapter 3. Being raised with Christ now. Because the resurrection is not only a past reality, it's a present reality and also a future reality. It's not something that just happened in Jerusalem or on the outskirts of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And it's not just something that's going to happen sometime in the future. The resurrection has a relevance for you and I today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want us to think about these verses and the impact of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, how that impacts our lives, past, present, and future. Let's walk through this text. First of all, number one, the resurrection reminds us of our position. Look at verse one. Resurrection reminds us of our position. Paul begins this third chapter saying, If then you have been raised with Christ, or even translated, since you have been raised with Christ. There's an assumption there that he is including. Since you've been raised with Christ, since you have been granted life. Again, a resurrection assumes that a death has happened. And so when Paul uses resurrection language, being raised with Christ, he's also pointing to a death. Certainly concerning Christ, his death and resurrection. But the Bible doesn't just use death and resurrection language to talk about Jesus, although that is central to the gospel narrative. It also uses death and resurrection language to describe you and me. It describes our salvation. We turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He uses baptism here as an illustration. I don't think Paul is reflecting upon water baptism here. He's using it as an 
as a description of our salvation. Certainly water baptism is very important. It's critical because it is a testimony. It's a proclamation of what has already happened. Not a cause of what happens, but a proclamation, a testimony, a public proclamation of what has happened. It's highly symbolic of the death and resurrection. So he's using that language to describe our union with Christ. We've died with him and we've been raised with him. So when we come to Jesus and believe in him for salvation, we are being being united with him in his death and resurrection. The Bible also clearly talks about our, our salvation in these terms elsewhere. I want to point you to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Paul again says, And you were dead, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He just described you and me before Jesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Children of wrath, all of us, like the rest of mankind. But, verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? Made us alive. He resurrected us. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We were dead, but God made us alive. In this text here, along with the text in Romans and Colossians, it's describing the reality of of every person on the planet except for Jesus because he was sinless we're dead in our sins that's how you enter this world dead in your sins a rebel deserving judgment from God that's that's the indictment upon humanity and if you don't like that if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't like that That even is a a demonstration of of your tendency, of our tendency to rebel against against God. We, We are rebels. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We're dead in our sins. So the hope for you is what? Think about that. You're dead in your sins. I've not seen too many dead people make themselves get up. That means you need another. You need the help of another to come and make you alive, and that's exactly what Christ has done. He has brought us to life. He has given us hope. 
And friends, the promise for you, if you're here today and you continue to be dead in your trespasses and sins and you are sensing that the Lord is showing you that, that the hope for you is simple. Yes, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but listen, God is glorified when he comes and he makes dead hearts alive. And that is your hope. He's doing this all over the world today. He's resurrecting people day after day after day. And if you are here and you hear that and you say, well, what's my hope if I can't make myself alive? If you have any desire in you whatsoever to look to Christ and find your hope in him, that is the work of our resurrected king, bringing your dead heart to life so that you can trust in him and believe in him. Friend, if you've trusted in this good news, then you are no longer a slave to sin, but you've been made alive, you've been resurrected. I'm not sure that many of us look in a mirror and think that they're a resurrected person. Did you do that this morning? You look in the mirror and say, I'm a resurrected person. There's a future resurrection that's coming, so there's still hope, okay? I know when you look in the mirror and, and, and you don't see resurrection, there's a glorification that's coming. That's in the future, okay? But the reality is, if you are in Christ, you are resurrected. You were dead, and God made you alive. Because of your new position in Christ, you are called now to live a life that's consistent with this position which leads me to the next point. Number two, the resurrection informs us of our responsibility. Notice he says, since or if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. The resurrection, this being raised from the dead, is informing our present responsibility. What's happened to you in the past is now informing your present responsibility. Since you've been raised with Christ, or if then you've been raised with Christ, now do this. Paul wants to encourage the believers to allow the gospel to inform them, to inform us how we ought to live. Two times in these verses, Paul encourages us to pursue things that are above, the heavenly, eternal things. He says, seek the things that are above. That that word seek there is, is have your desires, to have your affections upon the things that are above. And then he goes on to verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. So your minds, your thoughts, and your desires, your affections, ought to be heavenward if you're resurrected. It's not merely a suggestion of the posture of our eyes as much as it is for the posture of our hearts. Long for, desire, pursue, meditate, reflect upon things that are above, not things that are on the earth. And notice that there's an object. Don't just look up to the clouds and have some kind of mystical experience. No, Christ is your object. Notice the centrality of Christ that dominates this passage. Verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, where Christ is, Your life is hidden with Christ, verse 3. When Christ appears, verse 4. It's Christ who is the authority, who is at the right hand of God. 
It is Christ who our desires, our affections, our thoughts ought to be fixed upon. Listen, Jesus is not merely the door into the Christian life. He is center. He is primary to the Christian life. You don't look to Jesus just to get in the kingdom. The kingdom's all about him. You look to Christ and you continue to look to Christ and you continue to look to Christ and you continue to enjoy that fellowship with him. So the point of our salvation is not just about our future destination, though it is, but it's about a present responsibility that we have. In fact, if you go back and look at Romans 6, you see that there in Romans 6, and you see it here in Colossians 3. We know that in in Romans 8, Paul says that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. So the point of your salvation is not merely a future relocation. It is a present transformation. And if you're not about present transformation, then I would highly doubt, although I can't make the final call, I would highly doubt that you know anything about a future glorification. We are saved in order to be conformed to the image of Christ, meaning that we are saved in order to reflect his character more and more. So, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 set the stage for Colossians 5 through 17. Put off that which is earthly in you. Put to death these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Put these things off. You used to walk this way. Don't walk that way anymore. Now put on, then, as God's chosen ones, as God's elect, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so Paul is explaining that that we are to live a certain way because of what's happened to us. Don't mix those up. You don't live a certain way to cause something to happen to you. Something's happened to you, now you live a certain way. That is the gospel way. It's not that I do this, this, and this so that Christ will be pleased with me. It's Christ is pleased with me because of what he did Because what he did in raising me from the dead now, I want to live this way. It's too imperative. Seek and set your minds are important to us as we think about this process. Friends, what, what is it that fills your minds and shapes your affections? What is it that bring you, what are those things that bring you distraction? What are you doing to guard your mind and desires? What things do you watch, do you read, do you listen to? Do these things help you cultivate a heart and mind that pursues Christ? Listen, resurrected people think differently. Great Puritan John Owen once wrote a work called On Spiritual Mindedness. And in it, he asks a question that we would do all well, we all do well to consider. He says, what do you think about when you are not thinking about anything in particular? 
It's a great question to ask, especially about 4.30 yesterday morning as I was driving and everybody was asleep. What are you thinking about when you're not thinking about anything in particular? And he goes on to say that if you don't find your minds going towards Christ, then that could be problematic. We should often find our minds going towards Christ. Because we are resurrected. We've been raised with him. The reason we need to consider our affections and thoughts is because that's what drives our behavior. Too often we define holiness by certain behavior, not by a heart that governs our behavior. But rather the Bible presents that our heart and mind have to be changed so that our behavior can be properly shaped. And I'll just ask you, are, are you living a life that is reflective of your resurrection, or are you living as though you are still dead? You know, when you think about that, our tempta- my, temptation, can I, my temptation is to think about others. Yeah, they seem kind of dead. They seem kind of... Uh, I'm asking you. I'm not, I'm not talking to them. I'm also talking to them. I'm asking you. Are you living a life that is reflective of being raised with Christ? Are you living as though you're still dead? Listen, if you're a believer, you were dead. Quit living like it. You've been raised with Christ, and Christ has been raised from the dead. He lives. We have a risen, victorious Savior And sometimes we live life as though everything around us is miserable and and hard, as though we have a dead Savior. The point Paul is making here is that if you've been raised with Christ, everything about you, from your desires, your thoughts, your mind, and your behavior, ought to be centered towards Him and reflective of His character. Number three. Not only does the resurrection impact our position and inform our present responsibility, it ensures our future glory. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The resurrection of Christ not only shapes and informs our spiritual resurrection, but it paves the way. It paves the way for a future resurrection that we will experience. It's called the resurrection of the dead. Read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me read a bit of that. It's a long chapter, but I want to read just a section towards the end of chapter 15, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
talking about being raised in glory. Paul's summarizing that here in verse 4, Colossians 3. But I just read Paul is summarizing in one verse. You know, he says our life is hidden with Christ in God. It, it's, it's, the life that Christians live is in some way hidden from the world. The, the world doesn't get us. And so they do everything they can to get at us. If that means ridicule and shame, or if that means going to a college campus in Kenya and slaughtering at gunpoint. The world doesn't get us because the world doesn't get Christ. It's indeed a mystery. But friendly, listen, there's coming a day when that which is now hidden will be clearly revealed. Will be clear. Those who have gone before us will appear with Christ when he returns, and all of us who will see him, who are left, and, and will see him in the fullness of his glory. And on that day, when Christ returns, both believers and unbelievers will see Jesus for who he truly is, and there will be no more mystery. While it will be too late for the unbeliever, it will be a time of rejoicing for the believer. Friend, this is good news. Because we do live in a fallen world. We do live in a world that experiences the effect of sin every single day. You know, it's interesting that even as Paul writes these words, he's not writing them from spring break. He's in prison. He's in prison and he's writing of the hope that he has in the resurrection of Christ. He's writing about the hope that he has as being raised with Christ. Even in light of his own trials. And this letter, this entire letter, and this entire book is a great reminder of our own hope in Christ if we know him. You know, as we think about these things, I want to leave you with, with what Paul says again in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What he says there that captured my attention is he says when Christ who is your life. What does he mean when he says Christ who is your life? Certainly we know that apart from Christ we wouldn't have life but he's pressing a little deeper here I think. Sam Storms put it this way. He said the believer's personal identity is so inextricably wrapped up in who Christ is and what he has accomplished that it simply makes no sense to speak or even conceive of a me independently of him. So my question to you is the same question that Paul implies here. Is Christ your life? Can your life be defined apart from Christ? And for the majority of the people in the world, that answer is yes. Yes. But I'm asking you, can your life be defined apart from Christ? Or when your life is defined is it defined based upon your identity in Christ? 
and in him alone. You see, we make a lot of things our life. We make a lot of things our life. We make our families our life. We make our careers our life. We make our children our life, our grandchildren our life, as precious as they are. But my question was not that. My question is, is Christ your life? Jesus said to Martha there in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When Jesus died and was raised so that you too could die and be raised, is he your life? There's only one life worth living, and that is the resurrected life that we only have in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that life, call out to him today. Call out to him and plead for his mercy and trust in his finished work because he, the resurrected king, is in the business of raising people from the dead and he will be your life if you will call out to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice that we have a hope that is rooted and grounded and founded in Jesus Christ. Father, there may be people in this room today, they, they come into this room because it's Easter or because they're visiting family or because they come here every week. doesn't matter what the reason is, but Lord, the likelihood of people in this room this morning that, that there's someone or several present that would have a difficult time answering that question if they're honest, is Christ their life? Father, I pray, especially for these, that you would help them resolve that answer. And Lord, if Christ isn't their life, would you do a work so that he would be their life? Would you raise people from the dead this morning, Lord? you do a work that only you can do. Father, for others, they may have trusted in you long ago and they're not living a life reflective of the resurrection. They're not seeking the things that are above. They're not setting their minds, their hearts, their desires on Christ. They have their eyes on something else living as though they're dead. It may be that they are. But Father, if they're just off track, would you bring them back through repentance? Would you awaken them? Lord, as you've awakened them from the dead, would you awaken them from their drowsiness now? From their apathy, from their complacency? Lord, my prayer is that for every single one of us, Lord, that we would leave here today confessing that Christ is our life. God, may you do that work in our hearts for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.